So we are um, <clears throat> we're still on this subject of the blessed afterlife, and I, I remind you that the first message says that there were three phases of the afterlife for the saint, depending on kind of the timeline that one might be on. If you if you die now, don't die now, but if you die before the second coming of Jesus Christ, then you will go to heaven. But heaven is not the eternal abode of the righteous. I know that that's common. It's usually taught that way. And we like to think of things that way. But biblically, you know, things are a bit more complex than that. Because Jesus, who is now up in heaven, will at some point return to earth. Now, since Jesus is the one who has purchased you, he's the one who is um, your great representative in heaven and even your brother in heaven, <clears throat> he, um, when he returns, you'll return with him. And so in several passages in the Bible, it describes of the saints coming with the returning Christ. So we return with him to this earth, this earth. And when he returns to this earth, he reigns upon it, which is what verse 1 of Isaiah 32 tells us. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Prophecy there in Isaiah 32, when Isaiah was writing, still a prophecy today because no king has ever reigned in righteousness. And he also speaks about princes ruling in just, with justice, which means that there will be those that are set up in the kingdom who will rule with Jesus. That could be a reference to the apostles. Because in, uh, in the book of Matthew, it talks about the regeneration. When Jesus comes, he will put them on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It may, may not refer to them, but it refers to people, men, who will uh, be given this particular rule. So this is a prophecy of that time, but we do need to just understand a little bit of the transition period that might go on. And this is not a series of sermons on the kingdom. Maybe I will do that in the future. And so we'll go into this in, in more detail. But if you will turn very quickly to Daniel chapter 12, <clears throat> let's just at least uh, say something about it. So book of Daniel and chapter 12, right at the end of chapter 12. Daniel 12 is about the second coming and about the tribulation also. And from verse 11 
it speaks these words. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away. Now that daily sacrifice is that in the temple that is to come, which the I believe the Antichrist will help to rebuild, he will make a covenant with the nation of Israel. They'll think everything's just fine. And then the Antichrist will at some point be killed, but will rise again. But when he rises again, Satan will be incarnate, in a sense, in him. And he will turn against Israel. And he will take that daily sacrifice away. That is what it's referring to. And the abomination of desolation is set up. The abomination of desolation, Jesus spoke about it, Daniel spoke about it. It is an image that is set up in the temple. There shall be 1,290 days. Now, the great tribulation in the book of Revelation lasts for 1,260 days, three and a half years, which gives us another 30 days here. So what's going on there? I can't exactly tell you, but obviously some kind of a... um, setting up for the incoming administration is going on. Some kind of organization is going on. And you would expect that, some kind of of transition, but then it continues. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That's an even more, that's an even bigger number. And uh, maybe that number which is 1,335 days uh, after the daily sacrifice is taken away, that is actually when King Jesus starts to rule. That's my understanding of this passage. And Daniel is told to go his way till the end of days. I believe that that speaks about this king who begins his reign in righteousness, if you'll go back to Isaiah 32. So Isaiah 32, verse 1, speaks about King Jesus. And I can't wait for that time. I come from a a place where there are kings and queens that go back quite a long way. But none of them have reigned in righteousness. And, uh, you know, quite a lot of them have been very questionable people. All of that will be done away with. That's part of this world. That's part of this setup. It has no place in the coming kingdom. So many things are going to change. So many things are going to alter. Jesus, in the book of Matthew chapter 19, calls it the regeneration. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, calls it the times of refreshing for the world. Sounds like a good thing. A time of the cleansing of this world, a time of the cleansing of all of the corruption and uh, the intrigue that's in this world. 
a deposing of those in power and those who think they are safe. A new administration which will signify a complete change in direction for this world. It is coming. I know there could be dark days ahead. How close we are to the rise of the Antichrist, I don't know. Um, I sense, well, that's all it is, I sense perhaps along with you that it's not going to be too long until this figure shows up. And certainly all of the components are being put in place for that right now, right in front of us. I mean, for a literal fulfillment of these things. But after all of that, and that will seem to be, when he's in his power, he will seem to be uh, absolutely impregnable. I mean, impossible to remove. He's going to be removed like that when Jesus returns. And then a king will reign in righteousness. Righteousness is what this world needs. Righteousness is what this world doesn't have. Just that change will be a huge wind change in the history of the world. And by the way, he's never going to be deposed. He's never going to stop reigning. His reign is and will be irresistible. One of the other names, perhaps my favorite name for Jesus at his second coming is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, because righteousness brings in peace. Peace because there's justice, as we will see in a minute. But peace because there's a direction, and everybody's going in that direction. And that direction is right. And that direction is not being second-guessed. And there doesn't have to be a coming together of world leaders to figure out what's, uh, how to get ourselves out of a mess. There'll be one person in control, and he will be in control of history. And he will be the great shepherd of the sheep. He goes before us by example, by the way, just as he did when he was here the first time. But this time he's who he ought to be. He's the ruler of the world, the coming king. Also, what has to happen, this is kind of merging the intro in the first point, by the way, if you're wondering if I'm still on the introduction phase. Also, what has to happen, according to Matthew chapter 25, is at the end of the tribulation, there is a separation of the nations and the people in the nations, which is called the separation of the sheep and the goats. If you're a goat, in other words, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't serve Jesus and you're in that group, you are separated into the goats and you don't make it into the kingdom. You make it into somewhere else. Everlasting punishment. If you're a goat, 
because you've served Jesus and you believe in Jesus in that particular time, you are beckoned into the kingdom to come. And so, you know, I'm sure the judgment of the sheep and the goats will take a little bit of time. It might take 30 days. Who knows? But Isaiah, in speaking of this king who will reign in righteousness, and of course we're we're going to speak about this a lot in the coming weeks, is speaking of a certainty at the second coming. People may scoff. People in the world do scoff about the returning Jesus. Let them scoff. Let them think that everything's okay. Let them um, believe that the world is going to continue this way and that it's all about number one and that it's all about getting what you can or even feeling good about yourself. It's not. We're creatures and we're sinners and as creatures... We answer to God, but as sinners, we're separated from God. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where his sacrifice comes in. That's where our responsibility to own our sins and to go to God and confess those sins and say, I can't do anything about them. I need a savior. That's where we acknowledge Jesus. If we will not acknowledge Jesus as our savior, we cannot acknowledge him as our king when he comes. This passage also speaks about princes ruling with justice. And of course, this is under the reign of Christ. Justice. Verse 16 says, Justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. There are a number of passages that speak like this. And if you look at it, yes, I understand it's poetic, but it's also literal. It's a rather unusual statement, isn't it? Justice dwelling in the wilderness and righteousness remaining in the fruitful field. Well, since there isn't anybody in the wilderness or in the fruitful field, what's the use of that? I mean, isn't it? Whether, whether justice is there in a fruitful field or something else is there in a fruitful field, it's still a fruitful field, isn't it? What does justice have to do with a field? You ever thought about that? Well, I think what's trying to be evoked here is that anywhere you go, going for a walk in the country. There is just as much justice there, just as much presence of the king of peace and the king of righteousness there as in his own court. The transformation in this world will be that everything is brought together rightly so that the... the world that was made for us is a safe world, is a just and peaceful world. 
so that you can venture up into the mountains and venture up into the woods or venture somewhere else and you'll be okay. Righteousness remains. Justice dwelling in the wilderness wherever you go is a place that's affected by the presence of king of this king. And so it's not just that he's a righteous guy and he's doing his best and, you know, he, things are going to slip and, and terrible crimes are still going to go on, but at least he's a good guy. It's that, no, his righteousness permeates his kingdom. That's the point here. And that's what I can't fully comprehend because I don't have anything to compare it to. But it's coming. If you look at verse 17 of Isaiah 32, the words continue, the work of righteousness because you see the righteousness that remains in the field works the work of righteousness will be what peace you see but for there to be peace there must be righteousness you cannot have peace if you don't want righteousness rectitude Things being right, proper, just. And I'm not talking about social justice and its unrighteousness and its preferences. I'm not talking about people who in our modern world think that they're righteous just because they put a sign on their doors. think that they're not guilty anymore before God because they espouse a certain cause, which they probably know nothing about, BLM or something like that. For many people today, all you have to do is put these stickers, put these, or say you're, you agree with this group or this movement, and you're okay. You don't need to feel guilty. And you know what? What's even better? You don't need to change. It's like a religion, isn't it? It's salvation. Salvation. But it's such an easy salvation. The problem is, it's not righteous. It's not righteous. It's not a surprise and shouldn't be a surprise to people who've got their eyes open that the founder of Black Lives Matter has got four homes. And she's a Marxist. But it sounds good. It sounds righteous. It sounds proper. 
What's my point? My point is not to rail against that. My point is that this coming kingdom will be righteous. And it will work peace. I don't know about you, but uh, this, uh, these leftward movements and so on, when they've been in the ascendancy in the last few years, they have worked anything but peace. And the effect, verse 17, the effect of righteousness, look, quietness and assurance forever. People are so stressed out today. Where can you find tranquility today in our world? You can't. People today, and particularly our young people, they are getting depressed. They're getting depressed for all kinds of reasons. You know, sometimes the the depression, in fact, often the depression is just because of the technological advances that we have all around us because of smartphones, because of the internet and so on. We're kind of disengaging our minds from the world that's around us and the people that are around us. There's that. But also there's all of this confusion, all of these different messages, all of these sides that we're supposed to be taking if we want to be righteous. And there's a conflict there between what we know deep down is true. And so we're told that truth actually is not (laughs) something that exists. How about a change from that? How about all of that goes away? And righteousness actually pervades our world. When it does, you see, it brings with it some friends. Peace, quietness, assurance. No more stress, no more worry, no more second guessing, no more fear of man, none of that. You can be yourself, the one that God has made you to be, and you don't have to pretend to be anyone else. This is the coming kingdom, or part of of the coming kingdom. We're only dealing with a bit of it here. Verse 15 says this. It it spoke about things going wrong in verses 9 through 14. Okay, palaces being forsaken, the city being deserted, forts and towers will be the lair of wild donkeys and so on. Things not going right. Okay, until, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. 
transformations, physical transformations in the world that are affected by the Spirit of God coming to the world, not just in one location, in one area, or not just upon one person, but upon the whole world. Can you imagine a world that is a spiritual world, the the Holy Spirit of God, as it were, is felt wherever you go? This is what I'm talking about. The presence of God. The rule of God. And us being at home with God in this transformed world. Now Jesus needs to reign on this earth. This is uh, my conclusion. Jesus needs to reign here. So you might be thinking, I'm sure you're thinking, why don't we just all go to heaven? I mean, it's much easier, cleaner, you know. Cuts out the middleman, all of that. Why don't we just do that? Well, because there's a very good reason. Because God created this world. It's a physical world created for us. It's our environment. Have you read Genesis chapter 1? It's purpose. And moreover, this world was given to the Son by the Father. Okay, so a thought experiment here. Somebody who you love gives you something that's very precious, the most precious thing. He creates something and he gives it to you. And it's marred and it's flawed at some point. What do you do? Just throw it away? No, you repair it. Of course. You repair. That's what Jesus is going to do with this earth. Do you see? He's going to restore it. That's what the millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ is. He's reigning upon this earth to bring it into a wonderful, beautiful, Edenic earth. And then he's going to present it back to the Father as something worthwhile. Look what has been done with this cursed earth. Do you see? It's really about him and the Father more than it's about us. Moreover, as the second Adam, he comes and he reigns upon the earth and he shows, although this uh, leads into the Uh, another sermon, he shows, he demonstrates that even with the most righteous ruler and the most beautiful kingdom imaginable on this earth, the curse still operates. And there will still be splotches of sin, appearances of sin, which is why in Revelation chapter 20 at the end, and we'll get more, we'll talk more about this in another sermon, Satan is going to be in prison for that thousand years, so you can't blame him. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. 
um, Satan, when he's let out, he gets an army to go against Jerusalem and against Jesus. They're not very successful, but he gets an army. Why? From people, rebels, who, who are in the kingdom, this amazing place. They don't like it. They don't like this righteousness. So Jesus will finally do away with that, and he'll do away with the great enemy of our souls. And he will be cast into the lake of fire. In other words, the ark in the Bible from Genesis chapter 3, where God pronounces against the serpent, you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, dude. That happens at the end of the millennium. And then the earth is prepared. Okay, The curse can't be lifted because God cursed it. But then it's prepared. It's, it's given back to the Father as something that is worth something. Something repaired. That's not a throwaway. And that, at that time, that's when we can go into the new heavens and the new earth. More to say on this, but I hope that you understand something of the kingdom to come. Uh, we have a few Easter messages to bring, but after that we'll come back to this series and we'll talk more about this great subject. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will help us Help us to understand the meaning of the millennium. Help us to understand the meaning of this coming kingdom. As far as the saints are concerned, Lord, and their eternal future, it is all good. It's all secured. We just need to get the, uh, the phases right and understand why. So we pray your blessing on this series of messages and pray that it is a great encouragement to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.